0: what does the phrase it's never too late really mean my name is tk and in this series i'm hoping to shed light on how individuals rise above own their realities and overcome obstacles have you ever asked yourself why is it that people are not able to look past mistakes despite witnessing one's emotional pain this season i'll be interviewing individuals in different areas and industries to explore their sometimes controversial views and why they feel it's never too late to change Follow their dreams and walk in purpose. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome to season two of BFTV, Back and Forth TV podcast. I'm so excited to finally be back in the studio doing what I do best, which is running my mouth about stuff that people care about. And uh, (laughs) so I'm excited to be back here today. Um, So I did take a brief hiatus, um, really just to kind of just reevaluate the message and making sure that, you know, it was something that I would be proud of and So we took some time to just go back and rebrand, you know, the podcast, really just because the message of it's never too late um, to, you know, walk in your purpose, walk in your destiny, it's never too late to change your situation. That message is not just for the urban community, it's for everybody. So I wanted to take a moment just to reintroduce our new mission statement. And here at Back and forth TV, we strive to bring people together from all walks of life, in a judgment-free environment. Our goal is to spread the power of perseverance, the power of community and encourage hope by sharing individual stories of redemption that will inspire spiritual awakening, self-evaluation and motivation to walk in purpose. And that is the new mission for the show, which I'm so excited about. Shout out to my team who helped make my whole entire rebrand uh, process possible. Level 4 Studios, Cast Photography, Kim Clay Artistry, Melon and Monroe, I had a whole slew of people that helped make this come together, and I'm so proud of what we were able to do together. So thank you, all of you, for everything. Um, A few housekeeping items, though, before we jump into today's show. Um, This podcast, it does stream on all major platforms. So Google, Apple, Spotify, Anchor, whatever it is that you use, just type in back and forth TV, and you'll see my little picture pop up Just make sure that you subscribe and hit that notification button so that way you're aware of when new content is coming out. Um, And then also make sure that you rate and review the show because it does make my podcast a lot more discoverable as well. Um, Also, just a quick shout-out and thank you to today's sponsor of the show, Sankofa Athletics, and we'll talk a little bit more about them a little later. Um, Also, make sure if you're not already Uh, Make sure that you are following Back and Forth TV podcast on social media. Duh, because if you're not, what are you really doing? You're not doing nothing. Is what you're doing. So make sure you're following Back and Forth TV as the handle on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook um, to stay up to date on all the newest content and things that are going on with the show. Also, make sure you search and uh, subscribe to Back and Forth TV on YouTube. Um, By the end of the week, we'll have all of the videos from season one posted. And then going forward, you'll be able to see all the new episodes that will be coming out here for season two, which I'm very excited about. So make sure that you subscribe there and hit that notification button so you know when new things are dropping. Also, we now have Patreon, which I'm so excited about. Um, So it's an opportunity for you to not just be a part of the BFTV Extended Family, come join the immediate family. So literally for as low as three bucks a month, you can subscribe to the show, you get access to all the live, you can watch the shows live throughout the season, Um, You'll be able to participate in chats, ask questions. Um, You also get discounts on merchandise. And there's also going to be some events that I do exclusively for BFTV and media family members. So come and join the family. Join Patreon. Um, There's different tiers. But whatever it is you decide to donate, it's it's fine. You all get the same perks and discounts and things like that. Um, And none of that money gets pocketed. It all really just goes to pay for this really nice facility. Um, It costs money to produce podcasts, you know, and all that good stuff. So subscribe on Patreon, come join the family. um, And it's going to be a good time. And then also too, for the first 20 people that sign up, you go into a drawing to give it uh, to one of t-shirts. We'll be giving out five t-shirts for that. So hop on it, come join my family. Okay. And then speaking of establishments, shout out to level four studio, this beautiful, beautiful place I'm in. Um, This is where I do my podcast. And without them, I don't think the way that I do things or the level of professionalism um, that you guys see wouldn't even be possible. So, if you are a content creator, you need photos done, whatever you need, these people at Level 4 Studio are amazing. And they don't just leave you to figure it out. They're actually very, very hands on, (laughs) which I'm excited about because I don't know anything when it comes to technology. Um, So, these are the people that you want to work with. Best, hands down, the best in Colorado. So, just wanted to give them a brief shout out. And now we're on to today's topic, which is the pathway to forgiveness and self-discovery. And my guest for today's show is Mr. Tyrone Marshall. Can you hear me, Tyrone? Of
1: course, I can hear you. Yeah, of course I
0: can hear you. <laughs> awesome. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. Um, just a little bit about you before we jump in. I just want to give the audience just some a little background. So Mr. Tyrone Marshall, he's actually a professional basketball player from Denver, Colorado. Uh, From a young age, he has moved steadily as a professional athlete and has traveled all over the world. Amid COVID-19 pandemic, he retired at the beginning of 2020 to pursue his dreams. He is now a mindset coach. He's a motivational speaker and a very successful business consultant. In the future, he plans to add the title of author to his resume, as he is now in the process of writing a book about his story to hopefully help others heal and deal with their emotional pain. So welcome to the show. Thank you, <laughs> Thank you for having me. Um, Thank you be- for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, before we get started, I always like to start with like a little just icebreaker to lighten the mood, you know, and let people get to know you a little bit. So I have a question for you. All okay. right. Okay. If you could start your life over, what would you do differently?
1: That's a question I think I've given. That's a question, question I think I honestly, honestly, nothing, nothing. I wouldn't change anything because I wouldn't change anything. If I change something? If I change the mm-hmm. I am today. The, the person I am today.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I'm I'm like I'm I'm, I'm, I'm out like I'm, I'm I'm so now I'm learning to just learning to just love the life I have. Love the life I have learned everything I've been. learned everything I've been to where, me I'm, got to where I'm at. Got me to where I'm at or where I'm at.
0: Yeah. I don't know. For me not that I'm regretful or anything, but I would change a couple things. Just a couple. I think um I don't know. Maybe I would have traveled more like when I graduated high school. I think that's one thing I probably would have done for sure. Instead of staying like in Colorado, maybe just branched out a little bit because who knows where life will take you. You just never know.
1: I could feel that. one. So I can feel that. one. So, feel that one. Travel. Yeah. Travel.
0: Great. yeah, definitely. I probably would have done that. Um, I think that's probably the only thing, though. The rest of it, I kind of agree with you, though. It's just these things are what make life life. You know, make us who we are. So, yeah. Um, you ready for one more? Of course. So, what do you fear you'll be most disappointed by when you're older?
1: Mm. Mm. Honestly, I, honestly, I, this is going to sound kind of cliche. This is going to sound kind of cliche. I'm of... <laughs> <kinda, I'm, laughs> I'm really Don't mess, kinda, with, fear too much. I'm Don't mess fear. with fear too much. man I think I think the reason people are ever disappointing people are ever disappointed. Expectations on something, expectations on something, set yourself up to be disappointed. I go into everything. I go into everything all the expectations and all the expectations. Experience it it experience it as it is. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. You are such the optimist. I think the only thing I would be fearful of is if, like, fashion from the early 2000s came back in style. That was a scary time in history. Um. (laughs) So, yeah, definitely don't want that happening. Um, But thank you. Um, And shout out to everybody who's in the audience today Audrey, Evelyn, Stan, welcome. Welcome. And you guys, please add in questions as we go along if you guys have questions for Tyrone. We can definitely get some of those questions answered. So um, before we jump in, just to talk about the sponsor of today's show. So our sponsor is Sankofa Athletics. Again, that's Sankofa, S-A-N-K-O-F-A Athletics. Um, It is an athleisure wear and accessories company that provides thoughtfully designed, high quality pieces that are unique and sustainably sourced. Each piece is designed in the U.S. and it comes directly factory in the Middle East to ensure that each handcrafted piece is made from only the best textiles, fabric, and raw materials available. Did I say the best? I said the best. Okay. So they're not coming through with these cheap, low-grade polyester, rayon. No, they're coming through with the best fabrics that you can possibly put on your body. Sankofa is a socially and environmentally conscious clothing brand that strives to be inclusive for all genders, so men and women alike. And I actually would have worn it for today's show, but I didn't get my stuff ordered in time, so that's my fault. I will be wearing it the next time. But when I tell you guys that this line of athleisure wear is so dope, let me tell you, it is fire. So it's athletic wear, but it also has like the most recent line that they have out now. Um, it actually is made with African print like that is the coolest thing ever so now you can go to the gym and not just be a regular person in the gym but you're gonna go to the gym in style okay so you're gonna set yourself apart and be fashionable and one thing I also like about this line is not only is it appropriate to wear to the gym but I can literally put that outfit on with a pair of heels so I can go to like a little lunch date or something like that and then throw my seekers and go straight to the gym right after that right So this is a really dope line. So go ahead, get online, support their business. You're going to go to SankofaAthletics.com, and you're going to use promo code BFTV, okay? Again, that's Sankofa, S-A-N-K-O-F-A, Athletics.com slash BFTV, and you can purchase their clothes there, okay? So make sure you support their business. I'm going to have on the outfit next week, though. I promise y'all. Y'all going to see it. You're going to be like, man, I should have ordered me something. Cause it is fire. <laughs>
1: you sure you're not in sales? All right, you sure so huh? So you sure you're not in sales? Say it again. You sure
0: you're not in sales? Uh, actually, I am. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I've been doing sales for a long oh. time, but um, but the clothes really are dope, though. Like you got to get online to see it. They're they're fire. Um. So, anyways, Tyrone, back to you. So you are. Like we said, a life coach, your motivational speaker, a business consultant, entrepreneur. This is a long ways away from professional basketball. So tell me, how did we get here and what inspired you to make the change?
1: Okay. Okay. I'm but, um, I'm but um <laughs> my mindset of course not Except my like mindset course not quite I don't know what the difference what the differences are. I prefer to focus I prefer to in focus in just on your life, life. but, um, but um, your life. But um <laughs> essentially I, I could essentially, say I I, I can say right I love Ball was no, ball was really not what I ever wanted. really what I H- ever man. wanted. That's ball. I, basketball. Basketball. I did basketball. Everybody always was telling Everybody me. Everybody always was it's telling me. Oh, you should, mean, should play basketball. Play basketball. you should play basketball, balls. you should basketball, balls. you not play basketball.
0: You know, that was the way I got it. You know, that was the way I got it.
1: And mm-hmm. So once in 2016, once I started in 2016, to my mindset, I going my mindset, mindset and starting to really get, to, start to really get to know myself. I I had to make a choice. I, I had to make a. Am I gonna keep trying to play? Like I love it. That's Like I'm I love it. it right. And I'm telling you that it right. But, mm-hmm. but I realized it wasn't. I what I realized. Really it was. Good. It wasn't the thing that like sparked that joy on the inside. Where even if I wasn't getting paid, I wouldn't have a problem. So. Mm-hmm. What I ended up doing is um, I was on the phone. I was on the phone call with this lady. She's a business consultant and she works with retired athletes. And as she was talking to me, she just confirmed it. And when she confirmed it, she was like, it sounds like you need to make a choice. She was like, either you're going to keep playing basketball in which it sounds like you're not fully passionate about it or you're going to go after what you want to do. And so I was like, you know what? You're absolutely right. And I was like, it's going to be a big leap. And it's going to change everything that I know. And everybody's probably going to ask me why. But this is what I love to do. Like, even if I wasn't getting paid for it. So I just had to make the change. Because I can't be running around telling people like, oh, you should do what you love or chase your dreams. I was never truly chasing mine. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I think it takes a lot of courage to step out and do what it is that you're actually meant to do and not what people think that you should be doing. Um, So... I know that leading up to where you are now, you've had a lot of I'd say traumatic experiences that I think really affected you in, in a way. Um, can you tell me a little bit about where this begins? Start, you know, with your childhood, you know.
1: Um, tsh- to tell you the truth, and I was actually thinking on this the other day. I like to go back, there's events that I have in my mind where I could pinpoint and say certain parts of you know certain actions came from those times but the more I think about it and I was actually listening to a student named Sad Guru the events occur before I was born the things that affected me in the way to become who I was like traumatic events it goes way back to slavery and then you know that's passed down generational. I believe in like generational traumas things that like we didn't experience ourselves, but we get the trauma from it. Um, being poor, then that's another thing you get trauma from. Um, one of the events I can remember to tell the truth is once one when I was a child and um you know, I have perspective on it now, but when I was young, I just remember um going in to hug my father and of course I was being hard headed, right? I was supposed to be in bed sleeping. But mm-hmm. I didn't want to go to sleep. So I walked in the front room. I'm like four years old. I walk in the front room where my parents are talking and I'm asking for a hug. And then next thing I know, I feel a pain in my stomach. Now, as a kid, my brain assumed, yo, you just got punched. But like at the same time, like I don't really know what to do. I'm, I'm in pain, like I'm hurting. So, you know, next thing I know, I'm, you know, I'm on all fours and crawling. I'm just survival instinct crawling back to my room where I guess I felt safe, but if my dad really wanted to attack me, no place was safe. And now mm-hmm. I, I kind of, I'm in a place where, you know, I don't, I don't think he was trying to attack me. I don't know what happened. I can't even say he punched me. I just know I got hit in the stomach somehow. So mm-hmm. I got back to my room and I remember, uh, getting through the door. And as soon as I got through the door, I kind of leaned against the wall, like my back against the wall and curled up with my legs, you know, close to my chest and I'm crying and Even as I'm crying, I go into this moment in my head where I close my eyes and I tell myself, you'll never let anybody hurt you like this again. Mm -hmm. And um, from that day forward marked the time when that that would be a a very important moment in my life of how I would go about life from that point on. I would become the type of person who was going to protect himself no matter what. And the way I learned to protect myself didn't come to later on, but the defining moment of deciding I was going to protect myself happened at that point. And later on, I would decide that the way I protect myself was by um, aggressively attacking. So if you hurt me or I felt like you were a threat or going to hurt me, I'm going to attack before you can do any more damage. I'm going to attack you because little did I know I never really grew from that four-year-old boy that was still hurting. Every time somebody did something, that four-year-old boy said, no, 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 not again. And next thing you know, I was punching somebody. And then I developed other bad habits based off of that because you punch some people out, you get good at fighting, people get scared of you. You translate it as respect. You don't see it for what it truly is, fear. And um, it becomes right. intoxicating.
0: So that one moment basically just changed the entire trajectory you just went from this carefree little child to now is I'm going to protect myself going forward and as a result you're just angry you know not you know intentionally it was just more of a facade right
1: yeah oh sorry no go ahead I'm sorry no I was going to say it's funny because though I was angry I actually was uh, some people might describe it as bipolar I was still very goofy very friendly um Mm -hmm talkative nice all those things but it was when i felt threatened that the other side came out Mm -hmm. and it it seemed like i went from this harmless person to this person like nobody could have ever imagined i was Mm
0: -hmm. yeah so talk me through your family dynamics so i understand you know your your father he was a felon right and then your mother was a little bit older Um, And she had you super late. Your other siblings were way older than you. So it's definitely (laughs) um, different. Um, Can you tell me a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, of course. So um, actually, so my my father's like a year and a half younger than my mom. But they had me very late. Um, My father was a double felon. Um, Mm -hmm. Both his felonies came before I was ever born. He was actually, he met my mother while he was on work release from jail. So he was on work release. And he, they were working at the same place, and he, he met my mother. It was uh, some type of nursing facility, like a uh, old people's home, if I believe it's correct. Mm-hmm. Um, they met, they had me. My mom had already had three kids that were grown. Um,
0: she started th- all. Huh? <laughs> she started all the way over. Yeah, yeah,
1: she started all the way over. <laughs> and like the crazy thing, she like she always tells a story how she felt like you know. It it was like she was good, like she was going to be good, but she she kind of felt like she said she knew my dad was her husband. And um, she always talks about my grandma was happy because my grandma, um, you know, my grandma died when I was in eighth grade. So she didn't want my mom to be lonely for the rest of her life. She, you know, she wanted her to have someone. And so my mom, um, she's an MVP because her and my dad, it was a little rough, but they, they got it figured out and they're still together today. Um, and I can, I can say truthfully, my parents were very good role models. I think when I was younger, my father, you know, he was still working things out. Um, he, he has a very sophisticated, hard, violent past itself. You know, he grew up in South side, Chicago. So like him growing up, he grew up in one of the most violent cities you could live in. Mm-hmm. And, um, almost to the point he had been shot at, he had, he had, he got a couple bullet wounds already. You know, he's, you know, been in and out of juvenile from when he was 12 to when he was 17. Then he went to prison for nine and a half years, got out, had a little boxing career, ended up getting back in trouble, um, you know, went to jail cause he was actually more protecting himself that time. And then he met my mother. And so he still had some habits and things he was figuring out for itself. And when I was young, you don't really know your father. Like the thing, I, children don't, we don't really know our parents. We only know what we see. And so we come into the world kind of we come later on and we don't really know what our parents are doing. We don't know. They got bad habits. We just think our p- parents have it figured out and they know what they're doing. Right. But he was still figuring it out. You know, my mom was still figuring it out. And as a child, I didn't notice. And so uh, I came into a dynamic where my dad was still getting together. Now, I can firmly attest that my father now is he he He's a man that like I look up to in the fullest he uh mm-hmm. he showed me what it means to be a man, and he showed me that a man has to keep growing a man has to keep working and doing better because like none of us are perfect. you can only keep working and keep moving forward in your life
0: mm-hmm. Wow, wow, so one of the things you mentioned to me, <laughs> which I thought was interesting is that you were five, ten in the fifth grade,
1: <laughs> yeah. I've always been um hold on real quick. I've always been very tall. Uh mm-hmm. so yeah, in the fifth grade, I was five ten. Um I I was a big baby, so I think I came out like eight pounds. So I've my whole family's tall. I had a sister who's uh, was six three, she died. Um another my other sister is like six foot. My little sister who's younger than me, she is five ten my mom was five and eleven and a half she's older now so she's starting to you know lean forward and (laughs) she's getting shorter so she's right like five nine now but like my father six foot so my in my family we we all run kind of tall i had a a great uncle who was seven foot so everybody was tall so i grew very early people thought i was going to be seven foot I finished off growing. I'm six eight now. I finished off growing when I was like in ninth grade, pretty much in eighth grade. But like there was a little bit of changes between that eighth grade, ninth grade year. And then I also used to um, hunch over very badly. I was mm-hmm. I was ashamed of being tall. I just wanted to fit in.
0: Mm-hmm. So one of the things that you've mentioned. um was kind of trouble with your own identity cuz it's not only did you grow up and you were you were taller like you looked different than everybody else mm-hmm. had this very big personality um but you also didn't look like everyone from the perspective of you couldn't afford all the nicer clothes and the nicer shoes um tell us about, you know, that experience and what was that like for you
1: yeah i mean i think a lot of kids can talk about you know Growing up, humble means, some people call it poor. Um it it was just essentially we we just didn't have it, you know, like and it didn't like in my mind it didn't make much difference to me at first, but you learn that there's a big difference when you get to school. So like when you at home and you growing up and before you really in school and I transfer schools a lot, like ask my parents for something and be like, We don't have the money. I quickly figured out, okay, my parents, we don't have money. And then I figured out they wasn't lying because I remember multiple times walking in, you know, as a child, you know, you're not, you supposed to be doing something in another room and they told you to leave them alone and you still coming back to bother them. But I remember walking in and I would see them like counting money. And then I would hear the conversation like, oh, we don't got enough for this bill or the rent this month. You know, we're going to have to see if they can extend us for a little bit. And it was like, it was like, dang, like, it, it was kind of heartbreaking because it was like, my parents were struggling. Like, I wanted to be able to help and I didn't really know how to. And then, you know, going to school and, you know, I'm, I'm tall, so I'm growing, the little clothes that I would get, like we would go to like places where they have like clothes for homeless people and poor people programs. But I was growing out my clothes so fast. Like I'm, I'm growing crazy. Like I'm growing three inches a year from fifth grade to eighth grade. I was growing three inches a year, my feet growing crazy. Um, one of my older sisters actually came home from the army, and she was trying to buy us clothes, and so she was buying me shoes. I remember she bought me two sizes up because she was like, "You're not going to grow out of these. Like, if you do grow two sizes, at least you'll fit these." It's funny because my feet actually stopped growing, and so I actually was wearing a size too big for a while, um, for like five years actually, because I didn't know any better. But it was just like going to school, getting made fun of, and like not being accepted then like, you know, leaving that school, go to another one, try to get accepted in that school, not get accepted, go to another school. Like, I think maybe it was even worse because I I didn't stay at just one school and not get accepted. I went to so many different schools, so many different cities, so many different places and I wasn't getting accepted. So it, it kind of weighed on me to make me feel kind of like, you know, like it's me. Like, I never interpreted it like it has nothing to do with me. It's them. It always was like, it's me. Like, I'm weird. Like, we're poor, so I can't even be swaggy. Like, I, I talk too dang much. Like, I'm too tall, so I'm hunching over to try to be shorter. Like, I just, like, I don't fit in in the least. And um, the first time, I guess, I start to kind of fit in is when people would talk about basketball. Because mm-hmm. then it's like, oh, you look like a basketball player. Mm-hmm. And it's like. And when I finally, when I was playing basketball, I'm like, yeah, I do play basketball. And then like, it's always smiles and nice words and nice things. Right. And that continued on for, you know, as long as I played. Mm
0: -hmm. So you have a a few things going on here. So we have this protective barrier up from when you were younger. right? And then we're moving around to all these schools where you can continuously like reinvent yourself or try to change who you are to fit in, you know, then you're, to get respect, you know, your defense mechanism is to basically fight, you know. And so the first time that you actually see some respect is when you start playing basketball, um, which that does frustrate me a little bit. I think when it comes to um, ethnically diverse children, sometimes they want to put us in this box of the only thing you can do is sports or entertainment. I even remember because I'm six feet tall, you know, so. Back when I was younger, people would always say, Oh, you should play basketball. You're gonna be this, or you should be a model. I'm like, I don't want none of those things, but okay. Well, okay. <laughs> but it makes you feel more accepted. So tell me about how you discovered basketball and um how that got started for you.
1: So basketball, when I first discovered, I mean every black kid knows about basketball. Like if you a black boy, you know about basketball. Like, <laughs> Everybody going to some park or seeing somebody hoop or somebody as you. So I knew about basketball. Like when I was younger, like I think my first time really playing, I was in fifth grade. My my uh, classmates were like, even though they had talked so much stuff about me, for them to want to accept me into something, they were like, yo, you should come play basketball. Like like you'd be great on the team. Like like you tall, like we need you. So like hearing that we need you. Oh, really? You need me? Mm-hmm. I'm there. (laughs) Tried out. I was trash, but I made the team because I was tall. So got on the team, played. I wasn't good. My dad was always there supporting me. He was always the loudest one in the crowd. That's my boy. I was like, I always be be laughing um, because I knew I was terrible. But he always found, like, the good things I did. And then he never really pushed me. My father never pushed me to play any sports, but he always told me his stories. He was a boxer, so he always talked about box He taught me how to box, but my mom wasn't letting me box. She thought it was too violent. So if if he had picked a sport for me, it would have been boxing. But then after fifth grade, the next couple years, um, I was moving high, uh middle schools a lot, so I never really got to play. But in eighth grade, I got to play flag football and basketball. Um, and that is that year is the year that I kind of got serious with basketball. Like I really wanted to play and um, I was playing at school and then they were talking. I remember walking out of the gym and out to school after practice. And I remember hearing some of my teammates who were some of the popular boys, like they was like, yo, he's tall for nothing. And like that hurt because it was like the one thing that I thought I did have to get accepted. They was like telling me that like Mm -hmm. like it wasn't it still wasn't good enough. And so I don't know why, but like at that moment, instead of like, just like, like hurting it. And I didn't attack them because honestly there was like, even then, like when I would fight people, there was still like a, a part of me that was scared. Like I was always scared. And like, I would attack people out of fear. I was attacking people because I was scared, but I was making people think that I was, I wasn't scared at all. So I didn't attack mm-hmm. them at all. But like, I just remembered that. And I was like, nah, you'll see. And I remember uh, one of my teammates walked up to me what uh, next to me. He had heard him, too, and his name was Denzel Washington. And he said, um, he said, y'all don't listen to them. He was like, you all good. You ain't really ever played before. You just need practice. He was like, you should come. I, I play for an AAU team. You should come practice with us. And so I was like, okay. So my dad took me, and I got to meet the team and the coach. And I remember that's when I started practicing, and the coach was – coach was hard on me but i appreciate it to this day because he taught me he taught me toughness both mentally and physically like you know and and i didn't give up like i kept going through it like regardless i was born with asthma so basketball presented a little more of a challenge to me than most people because i've been hospitalized multiple times and the feeling of feeling like you're dying and you can't get your breath and there's nothing you can do about it it's a scary feeling and when you first start playing basketball you have that feeling a lot and it's not an asthma attack it's just you running out of air because your lungs aren't used to running that much right but not being able to tell the difference can be very scary um but i had to push through that um, so that was kind of the start of my career right
0: so now you're in high school where you're taking basketball like very, very seriously at this point, but um, that's when life kind of got to get you know a little bit real for you, right? Tell me about your time in high school.
1: Um, so my first year I was in Texas, uh, we my, in eighth grade my grandma had died, um, and we no longer could afford to stay in the house the only house I've ever lived in my house in my life, but we couldn't afford to stay in that house, um, because. Part of her her social security was actually helping us to be able to pay for it. And so when she died, we no longer had that. And so we had, um, my mom didn't want to be in Colorado anymore. She didn't want to be in Denver anymore. So she decided she wanted to move down to Houston where my brother lived. So we moved down to Houston and that was a little change. My brother did help me though. He helped me find a team to play on. I played on the little AAU team there. Um, then I went to this, uh, we went looking for schools. I ended up going to the school called Hightower high school. I got into the magnet program. I was always a smart kid, but my mind was never really into school. Like I, I was a smart kid and if applied, I could have probably done anything I wanted to, but I was never really into school. I was more into like being accepted. And, um, so I got into that school, um, and I started playing basketball there. Um, that kind of boosted my confidence because my coach, the head coach of the varsity team liked me, he liked me a lot. He had big plans for me. He, um, went to put me on varsity from the start, but I wasn't ready for that. So at first he put me on JV, but then I had to go down to freshman cause I wasn't ready for JV and I wasn't getting a lot of play time, but at freshman, I did, I did well. Um, I was always athletic, so I used that, um, to kind of shine. Then after that year and summer, I went to go play. You did well, went to some tournaments, actually, and actually got ranked um, in the state of Texas, top 10 freshman in the state of Texas. So that was that was very good for me as well. That boosted my confidence. But right before a week before uh, school was about to start again, my parents ended up telling us that we were going to move back to Denver because my father, at the time I didn't know, but my father couldn't stand his job because he was working a steel mill job. As a double felon a violent felonist, you don't get very good jobs. So he was, he was working a job that was hard on him. He wasn't getting paid much, he was hating it. And so Denver had always been a more, more lenient as far as him being able to get a job. So they were gonna move back. Moved back, disrupted everything I had going. Like I, I was messed up all over again. Couldn't call nobody, couldn't tell my teammates, my coach, nobody knew where I went. We went. I went to this school called George Wise High School. But but even before that, I was zoned to a school called Overland. Because when we first moved back, we had to stay with my sister. We didn't have a place to stay. We stayed with my sister. And I was zoned to a school called Overland. But I went to go to George because that's where all the, the people I knew went to George. Why I went to go where all the people who made fun of me went, I don't know. But <laughs> that's... Right. But That's where I decided to go, end up going there, got onto the basketball team right away, was playing varsity my sophomore year. Didn't get a lot of play time, but, you know, got enough, and we actually went to the championship. Um, And then my junior year is kind of when I had to step up because the seniors from the year before who had got us the championship left. So now everybody was expecting big things from us. Um, Chauncey Billups had just came back uh chancy billups came back the year prior so he got to see us in the championship so then uh go through high school my junior year was okay my junior wasn't too bad we moved around but i stayed there uh my senior year was when things got crazy because my senior i was getting recruited by a lot of colleges i've had coaches calling me if anybody who knows about the recruiting process when you highly recruited coaches call any time of the day midnight in the middle of the day in mm-hmm. during class, whatever. Mm-hmm. They send me letters, like they want me to come see the school. My, I got, I had two coaches, AAU and high school coaches. They didn't get along. So they both tell me about different programs they didn't want me to go to. Um, that year I just got a car. I got a car right before the year started. My brother donated his, his wife had a car that she was about to get rid of. So they just gave it to me. Um, I ended up wrecking it, actually sneaking it out I didn't tell my parents. I lied to my parents. I told them I didn't know what happened. I was like, somebody yeah. hit my car. <laughs> my parents. I don't know if they believed it, but they never said nothing. Parents
0: um, always know.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they did. I um, started driving and had a car. So I was, I, I was, you know, I was a little bit cooler because I had a car. You feel me? I could move around. I, had, I, was a, I was a basketball player. I had a car. You feel me? I was looking. Stuff was looking up for me and I was getting recruited so I was feeling pretty good but that mm-hmm. year would be a hard year for me um my father ended up getting prostate cancer and we t- he didn't have insurance so in order to get like insurance he had we had to move into like Denver county cuz where we were staying was like right across the street from Denver county and mm-hmm. the places we were staying in were like a low income place so they were they were they were nice and we could afford the rent and I loved them But we couldn't stay there because they need. So they had to leave there. My dad couldn't work because he was getting sicker and sicker. So then like we were homeless. So my parents went to go live in this homeless place on the west side of town. My school is on the east side of town. Um, My car was good on gas, but we couldn't afford to keep putting gas in that tank. So at first we got these gas tokens from um, the homeless. I don't know. It's like the Homeless Coalition or something like that. And I was able to get gas and go see my family a couple of times. But then it got to the point where I didn't have any more tokens. And so my family was staying on the west side. And in order for me to keep going to school every day and do what I needed to do and practice and all that, I was just staying in my car. I also had a dog. So I had my dog um, in the car in the backseat. I had all my clothes in the trunk. And then my friend lived down the street from the school. So I would park at the wreck at night, go to sleep. Um, I had a blanket, so I would just I would wrap up, and then um, I would go in. This is in Denver, so you it gets cold. So you know in the winter it can mm-hmm. get real cold. So yeah. I had my blanket. Sometimes I had to leave the car on and leave the heat on, but not too much because I didn't have gas like that. And at lunchtime, I, the way I got my gas money to even make sure I could get, you know, to the recreation center, my friend's house, and back to school, like I would drive kids to go get lunch, and they would give me a little extra money. And because I got free lunch, I didn't need the lunch. I just needed the money. So they would give me the, give me a little extra money to drive in the lunch, and then you know I would get the school lunch, and then I would have a little extra money for food later on or whatever it was. Um, and that happened for a little while, and then finally, my parents were able to move into like um, these. This homeless program had these places like that were kind of downtown in Five Points, and so my parents was able to move in there. We got in there. That was a lot close to the school, so once we moved in there, um, it was a little bit better, but still kind of struggling. My father's dad prostate, and um, I didn't really know what was going on. I didn't know what prostate cancer really was. I just heard cancer, and for me, every time I ever heard cancer, it was associated with like someone dying. So I'm thinking my father's dying. Um I'm we homeless. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. So, all these schools that was calling me, I just end up answering the phone, telling them, like, like, please don't call me back to the spring. Like, I didn't tell nobody what was going on. I'm just stressed out. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm a kid. Like, I don't know what to do. So, I told them, call me in the spring. Now, that messed me up. I lost a lot of schools. But, um, I mean, it is what it is. And I still end up getting, you know, have a couple of schools. And I end up going to the university, of Science, the University of Wyoming, full scholarship.
0: Yeah. Wow, that's a lot for a senior to carry on his shoulders at that age to deal with homelessness. Your your parents are sick, and on top of that, not really having a ton of guidance. I know that had to be um, pretty stressful on you. So now you're you're going to college, and you go to the University of Wyoming, and you join that team. Now this is a different experience, right? Because you're not the star of the team anymore. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah. Anytime you. Anytime you go from one school, middle school to high school is a jump. High school to college is a jump. Um, It was a lot of shocks for that because when I got to University of Wyoming, because I didn't know anything about the recruiting process and I just kind of signed with somebody, Mm -hmm. I didn't know the questions to ask. My parents didn't know the questions to ask. I guess my coaches didn't really know the questions to ask. So I got to this school and, first of all, it was a culture shock. Like I went and visit the school, but like I wasn't prepared to like go to school that was like ninety-eight percent white. Like and not just this is when I learned not all white people are the same. Like you got different type of white people. These are like rancher type white people. They like grew up in small (laughs) towns, small schools, Mm -hmm. like they country, they love their boots, all that. I should have known schools called the Cowboys, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) um But uh, I I go here, it's a culture shock. Very small town, not much to do. I'm I'm there in the summer, so there's nothing to do. I end up riding my bike all over the town, which is a very small town, so I was able to get from one side to the other very quickly. And I end up seeing my first wild horse. I didn't even know what a wild horse looked like. Um, I didn't know they were so aggressive. I thought all horses was calm and docile. But I get to the school, I'm astonished by all these things, but then I get to meet a dude named Larry Nance Jr he's in the nba now his father was actually in the nba before him and i kind of learned the politics of you know basketball this is when you first start to see the politics of basketball because um once you get to college the college level is there's money they're making money off it it's there's there's a lot of money being made off the programs and so there's a lot of the schools are giving money uh the players are giving tuition coaches are being paid pretty good salaries It's like, there's a lot to it and I didn't understand that. So I get there and, you know, I don't understand that I'm not coming here to be the best player. I'm coming here to be a practice player. I didn't know. Like it it was never explained to me that I was coming to be a practice player. I thought you get there, you show what you can do and the best man wins, but that's not what it was about. That wasn't going to be how it was. So, and i'm sure there's a lot of different perspectives on the story but um i get there and you know essentially i kind of get my red shirt messed up because i end up playing my coach puts me in like the last 16 seconds of like the first game um we never had to talk about red shirts even though we were supposed to have a talk about red shirts he never did it and i don't think my coach cared about me i don't think he cared for me that much but I can't, I can't be mad at them. Like everybody has their favorites for the most part. So I wasn't mad about that, but there was just a lot of stuff I didn't know. And at the end of the season, you know, after this long tumultuous year uh, at school, like that, I didn't enjoy at all. You know, I get called into the office and we have a talk and the talk basically told me the coach didn't believe in me. He didn't really think I was a good player. never thought I would be able to play professional basketball. And whether he meant to see what I was going to do, like if I was going to try to prove him wrong or whether he really meant his words, I don't know. But all I know is like, after that, I was like, nah, I can't stay here. So I decided I was going to leave. And I was, I was, I had decisions to make because when you leave D one, which is the highest level to go try to go to another D one, you have to sit out a year. So you have to red shirt a year, and then you can play again.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I didn't want to, I, like, I had already pretty much set up that whole year. I, had, I hadn't got to play. And, like, education-wise, everything was going bad. Social life-wise, everything was going, like, there was just a lot of stuff going bad. So I was just like, you know what? I want to play. I'm going to go Juco. And Juco is junior college. So junior college is, like, the lowest level. Usually people go to junior college when they can't get to D1 or D2. And they play for two years, and then they go. So with me, I lost one year of eligibility. You have four years of eligibility. You can do one red shirt, which gives you five years, but you don't play that red shirt year. So I lost a year. I didn't really play. Decided to go JUCO. So this is going to be my second year in college. I was going to have to get my associate's degree um, in order to go back to D1. That's that's the requirement to go to JUCO and then go back to D1. You have to get your associate's. I didn't realize, like, there were so many things I didn't realize about the college system. Like, when you go to JUCO, the organization of D1 is not there. The money that they uh, put into the programs is not there. Like, everything was kind of just not there. And I ended up going to a program. (laughs)
0: Let
1: me just say like this. My teammates was wild. Like, my teammates, we did a lot of stuff we were not supposed to do. Like, people think basketball players don't do a lot of stuff. But let me tell you, you go to the wrong program, You'll see it all.
0: <laughs> anything goes, huh? Any,
1: any Anything goes. I mean, even the way you talk to the coaches, you'll see some wild stuff. Um, right. And if my coach is watching this from JUCO, I apologize. We, we was wild. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: That's hilarious. So now you're in junior college. And at some point, you make your way back to CSU Pueblo, right? Mm-hmm. And so yeah, tell me, how did you successful. actually get to doing professional basketball?
1: So after CSU Pueblo, I wowed out even at D2, but it wasn't quite as much. D2 has a little more structure than uh, JUCO, but still less than D1. Uh, Went to D2, did okay. Um, Still wasn't crazy about the books, but I ended up being a history major my last two years. And I had a little more interest in that than I had in a lot of things. Um, But even my, my last semester of playing after basketball season ended which i was mad about some things that happened like game wise i just like because i was the only one to play basketball i just stopped going to class i didn't go to class after like after i got done with the basketball season i literally stayed in my room and i was just playing like call of duty and different stuff on the on the xbox <laughs> um which i shouldn't have been doing but i didn't care i'm i'm very hard headed so i was like whatever so At this point, I didn't really know what was going to happen. I had went to a couple tryouts to try to go play pro. Um, None was really shaking. But then I had a friend who was playing in Mexico. He was one of my teammates the year before. And he had went and played, like, in Mexico. And he came back and he was like, he wanted to go out for the G League. Um, At that time, I think it was the D League still. And he was saying he needed somebody to take his spot in Mexico. And so I said, I'll take it. And so he was like, okay. So he put me in contact with the team and owner team and talked to them and they, they took me. And so uh, uh, they got my flight, everything. And all I had to get was my passport, got my passport. And uh, bef- on like the last week of school, I ended up, you know, flying out. I didn't even get, I didn't go see my parents or anything. I just, I think they had came down to see me real quick, but I didn't go back to see them before I left, left, went to Mexico, played in Mexico for three and a half months. Um, it was, it wasn't full pro. It, it's pro, but it was, it was closer to semi pro, but it was, it was pro, but it was like closer to semi pro. Honestly, mm-hmm. most, most people would probably say semi pro basketball. Cause the league was like, like the third or fourth league down in Mexico and in Mexico, all the leagues are already kind of looked down upon. But for me, it was a, um, it was a start. It was a starting. I appreciate it. So that's how I got started.
0: Um. So during this time, you start going, you start traveling to all these different teams, you know, around the world. Um, you go to China. I think Greece is one of the places you mentioned, several other places. And you get into a string of toxic relationships um, with women. <laughs> yeah. Um. Can you just tell me a little bit about why you think that happened or what were you lacking that caused you to be in some of these toxic relationships?
1: Um, some of them came before actually I even went professional, but uh, oh. I think and I've never been to Greece actually. I never played in Greece. So yeah, I okay, plan so on going, sure but I never played. Else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it was a whole bunch of them. I don't blame you. It's a whole bunch of them. But um, I didn't I w- i'll say it like this that that aggressiveness that i had when i was tagging people when i felt threatened was for most part men like um at an early like not an early age but i think it was around 14 15 i realized i couldn't attack girls that way and I'll i'll be truthful before 14 15 i had mm, i kind of attacked some girls um not like full blow fist wise like at least not girls at school. My sister, yes, me and her and had some straight fights and even in high school. But um, after that, like, you know, I realized I couldn't attack them like that. So the way I kind of went about it was kind of like with verbal abuse, but not consciously. Like I I never was consciously put in my mind to do this, but I was hurt, right? I I was traumatized and I was insecure. I didn't have any self-esteem. I always thought these girls were gonna leave me because I always had like I didn't just like when I got in relationships like I I like committed, so I was so loyal. Like in my mind, I'm like, yo, I'm gonna marry you. Like in my mind, I'm thinking I'm gonna marry you, <laughs> Right. And um, I'm but I'm just so insecure. I'm like so jealous and like I'm kind of I'm I'm in it for all the wrong reasons and they're damaged as well and they have their their walls up and all this stuff. And you know, like when you first meet people, you're doing, everybody doing everything right. Y'all both doing everything right. Like everything looked mm-hmm. good. Right. Like he, he, he the most charming guy you ever met in the world. He taking you out doing everything. I was doing that. And then, you know, she ain't showing you none of the defenses, you know, none of the trauma, nothing like that. You know, that stuff always comes in later. And so when it came in, it was all bad because I didn't know how to communicate. Like you got to think. Every time I've ever got hurt or somebody said something, I'm punching them in the mouth. So now when I'm trying, when I got to talk to women and they've done done something, Oh, it's a one-sided conversation. Like, Oh, like you, Oh, that's how you doing things. like, And I'm going, I'm going off, you know, in some women, they holler back. They like trying to argue. They argue with me. Other women, they more on the quiet side, more on the cry and just listen side. Mm -hmm. And so, um, Honestly, in all my relationships, you know, I, I take full responsibility for the fact that I was getting in relationships and I was never really ready. I, I, I was seeking validation and love from places that I could never get it from. And because of that, like, I was very insecure and very jealous. Um, and I found ways to always blame it on everybody else. You know, I, honestly, I was still that four-year-old boy that was always getting hurt. And just finding reasons to like lash out or do something or leave. And and I quickly developed a way of like with women of just leaving. Like because mm-hmm. I was always moving anyway my whole life as a kid. And as basketball always had me moving, like I would just always have the same excuse. Like, you know, like if I got into a relationship, like nah, this ain't working for me. You know, I'm going to be moving anyway. So it's probably better we don't talk no more or it was just like you know flings where we wasn't full-blown relationships but i i would never fully commit because it was like you know i'm gonna i'm i'm leaving at some point like ain't no sense again no relationship like i'm not doing long distance in the time i had did long distance that was probably the worst relationship i ever did have so (laughs) right it was just toxic.
0: yeah i definitely understand that so now you're you're playing professional ball now you finally decide to give your life to the lord <laughs> you get saved and all that um tell us about that experience and what prompted that change for you
1: for me i think the most important thing for me is because i'm not it's, it's not about religion for me it's it's about the truth like i've always been big on the truth i've always been that kid who questioned things and when I was submitting to God, I will say it like this: like I submitted to God, and I was submitting, and I was getting saved. But the way most people see it, they be like, "Oh, you was becoming a Christian." No, I was submitting to God to lead me to whatever I was supposed to, whatever path I was supposed to be going. And at that time, all I knew about really was the Bible. I had learned about other religions, but I really, all I knew about was the Bible. And so, what in what happened for me was. I had been living a life that like, you know, I was, I was doing things on my own. I was like trying to, you know, figure things out on my own. I was just doing whatever I felt like I was really just reacting. Like it was just a lot of emotions. And I was I, in 2016 in the summer, I was homeless in Los Angeles. Like I had played in the drew league. I mm-hmm. can't, I can't, I got into the drew league after coming back from China playing and before that a whole year of just traveling all around the world. And, you know, I was, everybody thought I was living life, but I was, you know, I was in a weird place. Like, I was getting to go places and experience all these things and learn all these new things. But, you know, there was still a part of me that was, like, still trying to figure out, like, what what am I supposed to be doing? I think everybody does that. Like, what am I supposed to be doing? Mm-hmm. So, you know, in 2016, when I submitted, that was kind of my way of, I had always felt like, God, I'm I'm gonna submit, but you know, let me get this little bit out of me. You feel me? Let me get all this out of me <laughs> and then you know I come to you like I'm gonna like, I'm gonna come over there, but you know, just let me get all this out real quick. I'm trying to have a little fun, but it just got to the point where like fun really wasn't fun. And and when I had when I fully realized like fun was like really costing me way too much. I was like, you know, it's time to submit. And so I did. I And when I say submit, like I gave up everything. Like I, I cut everybody off. And I went through this process of where I was really into the Bible and reading. And like, I think the thing the Bible helped me with the most was the principles. Right. The Bible, the Bible was showing me principles of not only how to be a man, but how to be a person, you know, on on how to love others. But you got to be able to love yourself and love God and all these other things of what you're supposed to do. And so as I began to try to actually do that, I was like, yo, I can't be fighting people. I can't just be punching people in the mouth anytime I say something. Like I want to, I still want to, but it's not what I'm supposed to do. So I had to go on a search with myself of, why was I doing what I was doing? Like, why, like, why was I finding it so hard to change when I wanted to change, but why was I finding it so hard to change? And so that was when, you know, I began to go on a journey of why. And like the Bible was able to tell me some things, but what I was able to come to understand was there was a lot of trauma. There was a lot of things from my past. Mm-hmm. I was still reacting. I was still doing stuff in life because I still felt some type of way. And I couldn't fully adhere to the principle that I was learning because... was still something in my past that still was like saying oh no but he did this oh he disrespected you you just gonna let him disrespect you Mm -hmm. but i realized there was something wrong with it like i shouldn't be even feeling that way like i should be able to cut that off like if i am in control of my mind and in control of my body i shouldn't i should be able to cut that off and it just led me to start like doing digging start digging into my my past and that's when I started to you know, realize there was these traumatic events that I never healed from. I mm. never healed from, I haven't forgiven, I hadn't forgiven anybody for what they did in turn. Like I hadn't forgiven myself for even letting it happen. Uh, you know, and I, I still didn't really believe in myself. There were so many things and still to this day I'm still unraveling this stuff. I'm still healing. Cause I don't, you never fully heal, but you just keep working on it. Right. And so, that was that was really what prompted me and that journey that journey has been amazing' it's, it's been amazing it's still ongoing.
0: I'm so happy for you and you know, I think forgiveness and and just taking time to reflect on things that we've gone through because there are some things I think that we do go through that we don't realize is actually affecting us and it's actually traumatic and it's affecting our lives in a negative way. um so I definitely applaud you for taking some time to do that. so, now we're getting to the where you're starting to unravel, and you're figuring out where all this this anger, this resentment, where all these things started from, and now you realize that basketball really isn't what it is. Where's that? um tell me about that moment. I know that had to be a struggle from you know stepping away from something that was your identity for so long or that you identified with um how was that for you?
1: It was hard uh, there was a couple of times where I had thought about it um and it is crazy when you tell yourself a lie over and over and over again you believe it mm-hmm. um and i was truly believing this is what i was supposed to be doing i believe i believe basketball was, were was supposed to, what i was supposed to be doing cuz like i had so many different justifications for it the time the dude came to our church and prophesied that i would play in the nba and all the people who had told me and like my grandma died, you know, thinking that, you know, I was going to make it. I had made promises to her that one day I would do something with her, um, you know, even when my sister died, you know, she was always looking for me. She was like, oh, when you make it, just, just let me get a, a your basement. And like all these things that like filled me to be like, I gotta, I gotta make it now. Like I got, like, I gotta make it now. like." If I don't make it, I'm a failure. Like, I got to make it. And so you stack up things on things to justify why you need to do what you need to do. But I was never really, it was always about everybody else. Like, it wasn't about me. And so when I went on that journey in 2016, which I I tell people it was an intentional mindset shift, like I was really looking at me and getting to understand me. So after I started unraveling all these traumas, what started to come to me was like, I was asking why I was doing everything. And so it got to the point where I was asking why I play basketball. And I realized I like to play basketball, but the truth of the matter is, if I really want to make it, there was a certain amount of work I need to be putting in. I believe like, you should be giving your best to everything you do. This is one of the Bible's principles. You give your best to everything you do. And what I realized is I wasn't giving my best. And I tried to step it up and give more to basketball, but there was something inside that just never quite was willing. Like I was never, like in in workouts by myself, I was never willing to go the extra mile. I was always doing just enough. And I was doing that and I I remember I got hurt. So I I sat out that year. Um, Then I came back, tried to play. Um, Didn't want to go overseas because My sister had died while I was overseas and I wasn't able to come to her funeral, which tore me up. And I didn't even realize how much that messed me up because I wasn't willing to go back overseas, even though I had a chance to go overseas and make more money. I turned it down to stay here, make more money in a league that I didn't know nothing about. And the league ended up being all bad, but I went and played. Wasn't really a good experience, but I did get to meet two people on my team that ended up helping me to get on this plant-based alkaline journey which I believe, honestly, I don't believe anything happened on accident. So I believe I was supposed to be there. And then after that season, oddly, that season came to an end for me because I got in a fight. Um, One of my teammates elbowed me in the neck and so we got in a fight, which was one, that was the last time I got in a fight. But I, you know, and I, for some people that's not speaking numbers, but that was like almost a year ago now. So for me to not get in a fight for almost a year, that's big things for (laughs) you.
0: So, Make progress. <laughs>
1: you feel know, me? People, people don't realize. Not to mention, like for him to have to hit me for me to hit him—that's big progress too. Because I was usually the one, no words. So, <laughs> um, but on like it just came to a point where like I was really looking at myself, and what I realized, it, and people say this to me all the time because. I get, I engage in a lot of conversations with people, like being all over the world, engaging in conversations, talk to people. And the one thing people always like, yo, it was like, people would make fun of me. they would be like, you sure can talk. But it was always like, they made fun of me, but they was like, yo, you you talk about stuff that like, what you talk about though, is not like just nothing. Like you talk about deep subjects and some people would be like, oh, you need to start a podcast. They'd be like, people like, oh, you need to be a speaker. Like all these different things, and I had done business consulting with my dad. I had actually did it for him. I was his consultant on his business, and I helped him in his business, and he ended up selling it actually. So there was a passion there. I like there was something I loved about you know learning and growing myself in a way where I could help other people, especially those close to me, but just anybody because I've always been a great learner. I've always been able to learn fast. I learned. I just learn things naturally. I just watch things and I learn. And so there was always something there for me and I like to talk about it. I like to have the deep subject, deep conversations. And I do it like, I've had conversations where I sit in the car or sit outside with people and we'll talk for three, four hours. I won't know what's going on. I just talk for three, four hours, five hours. Don't care how much time passed. I just love it. I And I really realized like how much I love to talk. <laughs> when I went to a club, ended up talking with this dude, we just sat down and we talked the whole night, like didn't look at nobody was just talking, just having a good, great conversation. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, it, it started to dawn on me like that. The thing I love to do is to talk to people and help people with things that a lot of times they don't realize and give them perspective on things they may not have had a perspective on. And it's not about me being right but it's about me being able to share some type of information that can help them their lives in some type of way Mm -hmm. and i was like that's what i I just love to do it even if i didn't get paid i would do it because i was already doing it i did it without ever thinking about it i never meant to do it like i never meant to try to help people like it was always just naturally in me like just to stop and start talking to somebody random and we just have a conversation for hours like we know each other so I had to make a choice I, I, and I, I realized that and I fought it for a little while because I was, but basketball is what you're supposed to do though. And then I realized what I'm supposed to do is up to me. It's my life. I choose what I want to do.
0: Mm-hmm. That is such a good way to end this. Um, your life is up to you. And, you know, I think that's at least what I'm walking away with is that you know, you took the time to forgive yourself and to forgive others in your past, but some time to discover what you were actually put on this earth to do. And a lot of people, believe it or not, they go through this life old, you know, and they never actually do what they were meant to do here. Um, So I definitely congratulate you on that. Um, So just, you know, wrapping the show and whatnot, what is one thing people walk away with nothing else? What would you like for them to know?
1: Biggest thing I always tell people is, like, you you can create the life you want. Like, every everything that's happened in your life up until now, there are some things that are out of your control, but where your life is now is based on the decisions you've made, based on everything you've done, the decisions you've made. So, like, if you want to see true change, you have the ability to change your life. You have the ability to grow. You have the ability to have a better life. You, you have options. You have choices. And the reason I'm a mindset coach now is because I think the reason people don't realize it is it's all about the mindset. It's the reason I'm reading my book. I'm writing my book. The mindset controls the way you look at life and the way you look at people and yourself. And a lot of times we don't realize it, but everything in our life, the way we were raised, the people we're around, the music we listen to, the shows we watch, everything we do feeds into that mindset. And then it goes in here and it it comes out in the weirdest of ways, we don't always understand it. So you must be careful what you listen to, what you watch, the people you're around, You, you, you know, In order to truly start controlling your life, you need to start putting the right information into you so that you learn how to control your life, so you learn how to take advantage of situations, so you learn how to manage time effectively. Like, the essential thing is we don't know what we don't know. So in order to know something, you need to be around people who know more than you and begin to learn and soak up this knowledge. And essentially what that'll do is give you knowledge to work with, to help you to start changing things in your life and it's a slow process you change things one by one but you can change anything you you can make your life the way you want it to be you don't have to do what other people tell you to do you can do what you want to do as long as it's ethical but the biggest thing i always tell people is if you really want to find one key that i would give people to like really change your life and to change your mindset is just begin to ask yourself, why do you do what you do? And always ask yourself with everything. So if you say, you know, why am I always angry? And you, that first answer you get, take that one, but go deeper. Always dig deeper and keep digging deeper and begin to understand. The more you understand yourself, the more you begin to understand the world around you. And when you ask that why you'll be able to unravel a lot of habits that you have, good or bad, but you'll find we have a lot of adaptive habits that you know honestly is not us naturally but there are things that happen from when we were children and as we were growing up that causes to react the way we act and so don't just be like i i used to say this too i'm just this how i am like this is just how i am mm-hmm. like no i wasn't just angry like i was angry for a reason and once i was able to figure that out i was able to work on it and heal and now i'm not angry like that like i don't get angry very often anymore and even at times I feel it, I'm able to catch it that much sooner. And that's all I want is so that I catch it that much sooner. I used to not be able to catch it. I would just fight. And then after the fight, I would have to go say sorry. But then it got to the point where I caught it faster and faster and faster. And now when it, when I feel it, I can check it. Like, no, that's not the right answer. And I replace it with something else. But that's what I would leave people with.
0: That is awesome. Well, amen to that. I did have one question from the audience um, from Evelyn. How did you handle being picked on?
1: When I was younger, (laughs) I handled it by like punching everything in the face. That's how, that's how I handle it, which is the wrong way. If you ask me, how would I handle it now? I would tell you that honestly, someone picking on you or making fun of you doesn't have anything to do with you It has everything to do with them they're putting stuff on you that they're feeling about themselves like if they're if they're making fun of something it's because they're making fun of it because they feel insecure about how like if they make fun of your clothes they feel insecure about their clothes and the only reason they they're comparing their clothes to your clothes so they can feel better They want to feel better. And when you realize that and you start to understand that people only talk about other people or pick on other people so that they can feel better, you'll be fine. Because it'll be like you can tell them, honestly, you'd be like, yo, if if you need to talk about me or say bad things about me to feel better, you go ahead. Because I honestly want you to feel better. I, I want you to feel better. I hope you find a better way to do it. But if that's what you need for right now, you go ahead and do that. Don't let it affect you because at the end of the day, it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with them. And they're hurting inside. They're they're feeling bad inside. And so they're doing things. Somebody hurt them. And so they are going and hurting somebody else in turn to feel better. But it has nothing to do with you.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep, completely understand. And I agree with that hundred yeah. percent. Um, so just a quick closing quote here. Um, I always close with either a quote or a scripture. And it says here, if you live through defeat, you are not defeated. If you are beaten and acquire wisdom, you have won. Lose yourself to improve yourself. Only when we shed all self-definition do we find who we really are. And the author is unknown. But um, I thought that was an amazing quote for today. Um, so that's pretty much our show. Um, one more thing before I go here. Um, for Patreon members, um, if you do jump on Patreon, you'll be able to catch the show live um, every Wednesday from 6 to 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Now, if you're on different coasts, I don't know that math. Do it yourself. I just know it's 6 to 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, okay, for Patreon members. And then for um, everyone else not on the Patreon, um, you would be able to catch the show on Friday and then you'll be able to also watch the video then. Um, but until next time, thank you guys so much for tuning in to the kickoff of my second season on the podcast. Um, And I'll see you all next week.